Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. Broad Street Hockey Radio, that's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Jam-packed show for you tonight. So much going on. All the things in the world to talk about. So let's get right to introductions. Let's lead it off with Canada's own Kelly Hinkle. What's going on, Hinkle? Guys, I gotta tell you, I'm struggling today with, like, motivation and the will to live. (laughs) I'm getting... (laughs) It's live, just, Hinkle, live. It, this is, I've been trying so hard not to let myself like fall into COVID-19 holes of terrible depression. But some days, I don't know how you guys are doing, but some days I'm just like, fucked. Today's one of those days. This is going to be a great show, everybody. Yeah. Listen, um, I, I feel you, Hinkle, because I'm someone who's... Uh, like, I, I, I get in the occasional bad mood, but I'm typically, despite my on-air persona, pretty optimistic, and, like, I'm I'm usually in a pretty decent mood, but the last couple days, it's been weird, it's been so nice outside, but yeah. I, uh, I, the thing I'm struggling most with is, like, getting on a normal schedule. Oh, like, God. I've been doing a thing where I go to bed when Ava goes to work at 4.45. That seems bad. And- <laughs> Like I'm eating, I'm eating dinner at like 1 a.m. and waking up at two in the afternoon. Like the reason the the reason the outline didn't get started early today is because I wasn't awake until I responded to your text. <laughs> like, so that that part's been fucked up, but it's been. But listen, we just gotta all get through it. And, yeah, uh, we're we're, we're part of the fine. solution here at Broad Street Hockey. We're uh, we're providing people a service, as is. The man from TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. Yeah, I, things are great. I, I think tomorrow what I'm going to do to make sure that I'm still, like, excited about getting through the day, or I guess just to start the day, I, like, never eat breakfast anymore. I, I just – I had this weird thing in college where my stomach got really upset for the first couple hours um, that I was awake, and that sort of, like, had me stop eating breakfast just because I would just feel nauseous anyway, so I wasn't hungry. And then, like, that slowly went away as I got older, but I had just fallen in the habit of never eating breakfast, despite the fact that I love breakfast food. So tomorrow, I think I want to eat breakfast. And it's just one there of those things, go. just those little things that keep you going. The little things that you're like, yeah, it's worth waking up tomorrow because I'm going to do this. Hold on, I, need, I, know... I need to know. Wait, okay, shut up. Okay. I need to know what the breakfast is going to be, though. Like, I need to know details. Um, Not sure. Probably either pancakes or waffles. Nice. They're the two things that I have in my apartment that are breakfast-ish. I love a pancake and a waffle. Anywho, sorry. Go ahead, Bill. No, Kelly, I really appreciate that. Most of the time, you're like, oh, no, go ahead. But this time, because it had to do with breakfast foods. You're like, I had to know. Shut, shut your mouth. Shut, shut your mouth. Uh, no, it's like when I know I have something in there that I can make something delicious, that's the only time I'm eating breakfast unless I'm going to a diner. 
God, diner breakfast is so fucking good. Yeah, when I, I love get it back, so much. When I get back to the Philadelphia metro region, if that ever happens, someday <laughs> when I get back, I'm going to fuck up a diner breakfast so hard, like, they're not going to know what hit them. And if diners are open again. Oh, God. Could we just? <laughs> a bitch needs blueberry pancakes and Scrapple. Like, let me live. I need this. I I'm think de- we all do a little bit. I'm derailing um, the whole show. <laughs> before the show, like, we were all talking about how we want to kill time. I was like, yeah, just thinking about thinking about smoking meth. Thinking about, uh, <laughs> Bill, you watch big- Tiger King. You know what that does to you. Gonna smoke some yeah. meth. Gonna open a big cat park in South Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> See what happens. Just, I feel like it would be a good way to kill some time. Raise some tigers. Dye your hair blonde. Marry some dudes. Whatever. (laughs) Be in a thruple. I don't know. Oh, God. (laughs) You and Ava and some meth addict. (laughs) (laughs) But I keep doing the show. Like, I'm only a little bit addicted to meth. You do the Uh, show like Joe Exotic's web series. It turns into that. You do realize there's no such thing as being a little addicted to meth. Like it's no, it's, it's one the of the, if not the most the addictive way. drug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I guess. Got a lot of time to figure that out. I really come up with a good routine. I said I'm having trouble getting in a routine. So, <laughs> so we're going to wrap up the top 25 under 25 today. <laughs> Yeah, the top 25 under 25 feel like we've been doing it for about a year and a half. Uh, We're through the first 21 names. I was going to run through them all, but you know what? You got the time. Go back and listen to the old episodes. Uh, Or or go on the the website. I'm sure Broad Street Hockey, we certainly could use the clicks. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, God, click things and listen to things. Help us, our crops. (laughs) (laughs) They're dying. God. All right. So, <laughs> okay. All right. I got this. I got this. Top 25 under 25. We're picking up where we left off at number four. Coming in at number four on the list. Breakout year. First time All Star. Flyers lone representative at that old All Star game. Travis Konechny was at or around a point a game uh, for most of the season. He's just under it right now. A true breakout year. For TK, we've talked a lot about his transformation from guy who can be good on a good line to guy whose line is going to be good because he's on it. When we think about Travis Konechny, where do we see his career going from here? Is this who he is, like a a 75-ish point player? Or can we see him taking even yet another step into actual real stardom? Oh boy, that would be wild. I'm not sure about that. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's tough to say because, like, he did have an elevated shooting percentage this year, and, and that's something that we probably I'm, I've been trying to pull up Yahoo for the last two minutes because I knew that was the point I was going to make. But of course, my internet chooses this time to die. Um, connect the shot. He he scored at a 17 percent rate, which he's probably not going to keep doing that. Like. I, I do think he's got a good enough shot to to sustain an elevated shooting percentage. I don't think he's going to stay at 17%. Um, so I don't know if he's going to be this good. But I do think reasonably you can expect him every year, assuming he stays on the top power play unit. And I think he's kind of carved out a role there. You know, he's now... they've th- th- This is kind of going off topic for a second. But one of the big things for him for years was that 
he was, well, not years, I guess the, the last two years mainly, he was a really good five-on-five scorer. His numbers of five and five were great. The problem was is just that he wasn't on the top power play unit, and the second power play unit was utterly pathetic. It just couldn't do anything. Well, now, first he started out the year on the second power play unit, and that unit wasn't too bad. And then he got moved up to the first unit as, like, the net front guy, which is a weird role for him, but it's kind of worked because they're using him. They're definitely not using the net front, at least over the last, like, month and a half before the pause, in, like, a classic Wayne Simmons-type role. You know, they're kind of popping Konechny out. They're letting him skate around a little bit more. And Konechny is one of their top five best offensive players right now. So it makes sense to have him on that top unit. So I presume they're going to find ways to keep him on that top unit. And if they do, and the top unit still has Claude Giroux on it, so he's still going to score goals, like, it's reasonable to me that he should be a, at least a 65-point, 60-65-point-a-year guy. You know, in a lot of ways, I think maybe he becomes... And this has always, in my mind, sort of been, you know, Konechny's ceiling as a player. He kind of becomes the Voracek replacement. Because Voracek's one of those guys where, you know, if he has a really good year where the percentages are in his favor and he's just playing every night his best hockey, he's a point-per-game guy. If he has a not-that-great year, it's going to be 60-65 points. And I think that might be what Konechny is going to be. You know, he just might be the Jake Voracek replacement, except they still have Jake Voracek. And I don't, like, I never expect TK to score, like, 35 goals regularly. But the goal scoring, he'll give you a little bit more consistent goal scoring than Voracek, I would sure, say. Sure, sure. Yeah, he's definitely more of a, a shooter, even if he... I think he's... I, I wrote an article over the summer saying that he was, like, the stealth sniper that the Flyers have. And I do think he is a plus shooter now. Um, that said, he does pass up on shots. You know, he's not a... He's not a Dark Patrick. Side. He's not a Patrick Line type. Where Patrick Line, every time he gets the puck, he's shooting it. Konechny does pass maybe more than he should, considering how good his shot is. But he has a good enough shot that he's going to beat goalies clean more often than I think anybody else on this team can. And he does shoot a fair amount. Like I think you know, you you give him a full season in his mid twenties. I think he's probably going to be you know taking 210, 220 shots on goal, which I just don't think he's ever going to be firing away 300 times like a Jeff Carter would in his prime. All right, yeah. I thought you had something there, Kelly. I was thinking. Uh, Yeah. Uh, No, Charlie, you brought up those five-on-five numbers, and I do think the power play is a big part of it because go back to, was it 17-18 after the Festivus party when, you know, the team became good overnight seemingly. From that point on, when he got put with Giroux and Couturier, His five-on-five production was in line with Nathan McKinnon and uh, and Taylor Hall, who ended up, you know, winning the MVP that year. So he's always had that, and you know, they kind of figured out we don't have a Wayne Simmons anymore. So mm-hmm. having someone play the Wayne Simmons role ain't gonna work. I like the direction they're going in. I still think TK has another level. Uh, just in terms of production, we see what kind of effort he gives. We see what kind of player he is. We see the high-end skill. I still think there's a little bit more development there that I, – I, I'm not saying it's likely he becomes a 100-point player, but I think he could hit that 90-point uh, mark uh, a time or two in his prime. I mean, maybe if he starts, like Charlie said, shooting first, if he kind of you know, changes that up a little bit instead of – pass first he goes shoot first he might if he's that good a shooter does anybody else did anybody else like not I don't know I don't want to say came out of nowhere because obviously 
there were, you know, some pretty high expectations on Konechny coming in. But I did not expect him to be this level of game changer. Kind of surprised me, like in a, a very good way, obviously. I guess I always thought that he had the ability to be a first liner. Um, mm-hmm. And that a lot of that just went back to his production at five on five. His five on five production over the last two seasons, as Bill said, particularly over the last season and a half leading into this year, you know, that was first liner level. It was just he wasn't on the power play, so his counting stats didn't look great. So I always thought that that was there. What I always wondered is whether he was ever going to be able to drive play. That he, if he was ever going to be enough of a, you know, either enough of a two-way guy to do it, or if he could just be so good offensively that it didn't matter that he's not that good defensively. And I think a lot of that, you know, he deserves a lot of credit, number one, because he obviously has tightened up certain aspects of his game. You know, he's not, in the first couple of years of his career, I think he was a total mess without the puck in the neutral zone. Like, you watch neutral zone four checks that the Flyers set up with him out there, and he was just kind of running around doing shit. And, like, he always thought he'd get the puck, and it was just it was just very, like, not within the structure. And you could sort of understand watching that why somebody like Dave Haxtell would lose his mind on a semi-regular basis watching him because it was just so not Dave. And, like, sometimes he would do weird things in the defensive zone where he would just run and attack the guy at the point, even if he was supposed to be staying closer to the slot. And there were just things that, like, he, mistakes that he made that I don't think were ever— I don't think they were ever an issue of effort. Like, there are some guys that are bad defensively because they're not trying. Konechny was never mm-hmm. not trying. He was just doing the wrong thing. And I think now he's doing less of the wrong thing. I also think, though, that I think the Vino system— works better for him in the sense that you know I had, a, I had a long conversation with Ivan Provorov a couple weeks before the season ended and uh, or not ended was paused let's let's not say it's definitely ending but um but anyway and Provorov was very clear that he thought that one of the reasons why this team was doing so much better than last year's team was because he felt like this year's team was just more attacking they weren't backing up as much. They were going right at teams. And that's not just, you know, in terms of shooting the puck or even being in on the offensive zone forecheck. It comes down to the neutral zone, too. You know, they, under Gordon, they had the 1-3-1, which was very passive, and it's kind of, you know, kind of sucking you in, and then you're trying to, if you're the back defenseman, you're trying to go back and retrieve dump-ins and whatnot. Whereas the 1-2-2 that they play under Vigneault especially for the forwards, but for the defensemen as well, you know, your job is to go and get the puck, go attack the puck carrier. And I feel like for somebody like Konechny, who has, he has an inherent attacking mentality at all times, giving him the green light to go get the puck from the other team, that's only going to play into his strengths as a player. Like I think back to the very first goal of the, of the season this year, you know, he scores a goal it was the goal in a in um in the Czech Republic. He scores a goal by literally like jumping a route in the sense of like a cornerback jumping a route um that a, that a you know that a receiver's trying to run and just intercepts the pass. He picks off a pass that was going in the neutral zone, breaks in down the wing and scores. And those are the kind of plays that the Flyers would not do last year. And really, even under Hack, they weren't super aggressive in the neutral zone. I think they're more aggressive under Vino. So I think it's a combination of the improvements that he's made to his game, the aspects of his game defensively without the puck that he's cleaned up, and then just him playing under a coach and in a system that I think plays more to his talents than the past one did. Uh, thinking about Travis Konechny, all I really think about, like what our expectations are, what he could be turning into, all those things, what it comes down to really is 
Thank God for the Boston Bruins. <laughs> yeah, right. Jakub Zaboral? Zaboral. Jake DeBrusque? What is it, Charlie? Uh, Zaboral. It's, it's, it's literally just as yeah. it sounds, like as it looks. Yeah. Jakub Zaboral, Jake DeBrusque, and Zachary Sanishin. Sanishin. Um, the remix of Sanishin, baby. Yeah. Uh, thank God for the Boston Bruins. Dude, how bad, first of all, how perfectly would TK fit in in that lineup of dickheads? Oh, boy. And secondly, how thankful are you that he just isn't there? My God, that would suck. Yeah. So bad. And, and, and I guess in Boston's defense, and I, I, I will use that term very, very loosely, DeBrusque is good. Like DeBrusque is a legitimately good player, he is, and he's yeah. and he's going to be a solid. I think he he probably tops out as like a good second liner in the NHL. So that pick, that's fine. You have three picks. I'm cool with one of those three picks being Jake DeBrusque. But like, it's not even just Konechny that they missed on. I mean, they could have picked Barzell. They could have picked. Um, they could have picked Sebastian Ajo. Like, the next, that's the f- the next four picks are Barzell, Kyle Connor. Thomas Chabot and Evgeny Svechnikov. Yeah, well, like, I mean, Svechnikov, like his brother's way better than he is. But like, there were a ton of guys that could have been taken at those picks, and instead they go defense with Zaboral because they wanted a defenseman because they had just traded Dougie Hamilton, and then Sinishin was the big like DeBrusque was a guy going in that draft that I thought was like would have been a good late round pick. Like he was a guy I kind of had my eye on as maybe the the Flyers might take with the 29th overall pick instead of trading up to get Konechny, which obviously is better. Um, so he was a guy I was pretty familiar with, and I liked him. You know, he was a solid pick. They maybe reached a little bit, but, like, he's a good player. Zaboral did not pan out, but, like, that wasn't a— I think he was projected probably to go in, like, the early 20s, so fine. You're you're reaching a little bit for a defenseman because you need a defenseman because you just traded Dougie Hamilton. I get it. Zach's edition was like a third round pick on most draft boards, and they just like went totally off board to grab him rather than like getting a guy like Barzell, who to me was the slam dunk pick at that spot. Like, how do you not use one of those three picks on Matt Barzell? I, I didn't get it. Idiots. Yeah, that's uh, let's uh, Sinition and Zaboral have a combined eight games played in the NHL, crushing that's it. That's not great. Yikes. But- TK is a flyer, and he comes in at number tw- at number four on the top twenty-five under twenty-five. And honestly, he could have been anywhere from one to four, depending on where you wanted to put him. Uh, Travis Konechny's the man; we all love him. A true flyer, I would say. Coming in at number three, this is where it gets interesting. Number one defenseman in your hearts, Ivan Provorov, comes in at number three. Uh, bounce back season, having a great year. Point production is back in line with where we thought it would be after that shit season a year ago. Ivan Provorov, I think, like, if you look at the similarity scores on, uh, and I realize, like, it's hockey reference. It is what it is. But I love hockey reference. Like, Duncan Keith is right up there through the first three years of his career in terms of uh, similarity scores. There's also, like, Andre Mazaros up there, too, who was... Who was highly touted until the injuries. Uh, but I, he's got, he still has room to grow. He still has room to become that elite defenseman. But considering his age, considering his experience, Ivan Provorov's about as good as it gets at that position. Yeah, and I'm super glad that all of like the hand wringing and the worrying that we, and by we, I mean me specifically, um, we're doing about him at the end of last season was just absolute nonsense because he's been outstanding this year. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. 
We all got really, really excited, obviously, about his 2017-2018 season when he had the 17 goals, and then you know he you know, he played through that the, the shoulder injury in the playoffs and was really, really good before then, and he looked like he was really taking that step when he was paired with Shane Gossespierre uh, in the second half to be in the guy that we all thought he was going to be. Um, I think this season was even better. I think he was having a better season yeah. um, this season as compared to 2017-18. Uh, they're just... There just weren't many flaws. You know, you were looking at it. He cleaned up the the issues with the puck that he had last year. And finally, for really the first time in his career, aside from that second half of 2017-18 when he was put with uh, with Ghost, finally the underlying numbers looked really good. I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not talking like Dougie Hamilton through the roof amazing, but for a guy who, you know, is what, 23 years old, taking the toughest minutes and the most minutes on his hockey team, they were really good. Like, he, he now looks like a legitimate number one defenseman, no qualifiers, no wishful thinking. Like, that is what he has been this year. Now he just has to prove that he can do it on a year-in, year-out basis. But I think he can, because I've always believed in this skill set. Do you think that his new partner this season has something to do with his being able to get things together, or do you think that's irrelevant? Well, what, what did you say, Sarah? You cut out. His new defensive partner. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's helped. You know, I'm sure it's helped him. And he's he's praised Niskanen like they they enjoy playing with each other. I'm sure I'm sure Provorov likes the fact that he doesn't have to be both like the young guy on the pairing and also the guy who does all the thinking Um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, (laughs) well, I mean, even even with Ghost, like I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying Shane Gossesbear is a is a dumb person or a dumb hockey player, but he's absolutely more of a freelancer. You know, he does things. You know, he's going to go and attack, and then Provorov's going to have to read that and back up. Like what what Niskanen allows Provorov to do is he allows Provorov to very clearly be the focal point of the pairing, and also can do things like you know calling out forechecks and things like that, and things that like you just learn. You learn how to recognize exactly what's happening, exactly what the other team is doing by playing in the NHL for 10-plus seasons. You just get better at it. And right. Provorov now doesn't have to do all that thinking despite being you know, a second, third-year player. Now he can let Niskanen call out things like that and you know, lead the communication on the ice and things like that. And I think it does help him. It definitely, makes, definitely takes a little bit of like, weight off of his plate. And that's, that's big for a guy who you know, we forget sometimes is still just 23 years old. It, that's, we've put so much on Provorov's plate, and he's handled it and been so mature about it. We can sometimes forget that, hey, he's 23. He's not like really in his prime yet. It's not, but he's getting there. He absolutely is. You said no holes in his game, Charlie, and it made me laugh because I thought, well, I can think of one. The power play. Oh, and then it's, yes. It's, but it's funny to think about that because he leads the league in power play goals by a defenseman. Like, some of them are seeing eye shots. It's luck. It's other things going on. But, like, my biggest complaint, production-wise, is going pretty well. It is kind of hilarious that he leads the league in goals because but, he is, like... like Watching him on, like, he is the one glaring negative on that power play when you're watching it. Um, so it's kind of hilarious that it's going so well. And maybe, are we just, like, seeing it wrong? I don't know. It seems like he's not great quarterbacking I that power play. 
I don't think so. Like, I, I do think that this year the power play production on some level has been a bit lucky for him uh, because if you look at the underlying numbers, they're not great with him on the ice. That said, when, when the Flyers in my mind, fixed the top unit. When they put Giroux back on the uh, you know, back on the left side, they brought Voracek back up, put him on the right side, they put a left-handed shot in the slot, and then they uh, they moved connecting onto that unit so they could again have that right-handed shot down low, and then they started running more plays from below the goal line. You know, from that point on, the underlying numbers looked fine, despite the fact that Proveroff was still up top. So I, I feel like if everything else is is working on that unit and everything else is as it should be that Provorov can probably function as a solid defenseman on a top unit that said I think that I would probably I think Sanheim has higher upside there and obviously Ghost does if he could ever get back to you know who he is I'd prefer a a revitalized Ghost or a growing and getting better every year Travis Sanheim on that unit but I don't think his presence on the unit is is hurting it if everything else on the unit is as it should be, if that makes sense. It does. That's He doesn't... Like, I wonder, do you think his ultimate ceiling is he becomes this guy, or he's just someone who gets those minutes because of everything else he does as that reward, like we talk about it? Here, get your points total up because you are playing 25 minutes a night. You deserve to get these numbers. Like, Do you think he becomes that? Or it just is, it is what it is. He's out there with four guys who are really good on the power play. I think he's getting better. And you can't rule out the possibility that eventually he will get objectively good at it. Like, you know, we, we talk about, well, some of the shots were seeing eye shots, and they were. And I don't think it's necessarily sustainable. But, like, Ivan Provorov does have a very good wrist shot. He absolutely does. You know, we've talked about how he has, he, one, he has one of the better wrist shots on the team, despite the fact that he's a defenseman. And I'm sure that does play into the seeing eye shots. He's probably better than most defensemen at accuracy, at picking his, you know, being able to find those windows through through traffic. It's not a overpowering shot, but that accuracy element that you see when he, when he, you know, three or four times a year when he actually flat out snipes a shot going down the, you know, going down the wing or coming up as a trailer, that probably does help. And my issue with Provorov on the top power play unit has always been that I think his game is based around slowing things down that's why he's good he slows things down when he has the puck and I feel like on the power play you kind of want to speed things up so it's just not naturally it doesn't naturally fit his skill set and what he does well at the NHL level with the puck but I'm not ruling out the possibility that he could get better at it and the fact that he did score seven goals this year on the power play and racked up some points you know maybe the underlying numbers weren't there but I don't think that could just be tossed aside and say well that doesn't matter like no it, it it matters in the sense that he's improved on the power play and that he's actually scoring on it. Now the next step is to just have more puck possession when he's on the ice and be better at keeping the puck in at the point and being more creative up there in terms of setting up his teammates. But like the shooting aspect of it, he's I feel like he's got that down. I mean, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, that's sometimes you wonder how did like the year he scored 17 goals. Listen, that was awesome, but you looked at it and went, yeah, he's probably not a 17-goal scorer. Like, he just put that slap shot through a, a five-hole that should have been closed. Like, I don't know. But these pucks, the last or two of the last three years, keep going in for him. He is clearly pretty accurate. So maybe he can 
actually develop into that guy who's the number one power play defenseman. What we're going to do right now before we unveil number two and then number one is take a quick break. Uh, we're going to break for an ad, and we'll be right back on the other side. All right, fam, it is time now to unveil number two. I can't imagine... Uh, there's a lot of suspense left in this list. Obviously, <laughs> you've probably read it on BroadStreetHockey.com. But coming in at number two is, I mean, just the greatest human maybe on the planet. Um, Carter Hart, with all hard R's, because we're not from Boston, the <laughs> franchise goaltender, the netminder of the present and future, uh, our franchise savior, Ron Hextall's greatest accomplishment, Carter Hart. So do you want to hear something wild? I don't know if you guys um, got too deep into the comments on BroadStreetHockey.com when each of these posts went up, um, but there was someone who very, very vehemently argued that we were all out of our minds that Carter Hart was essentially number one on this list um, because he has not done anything, I believe was what he was using as a reasoning, that he has not proven anything we have no idea what he's actually going to be and that he should be somewhere in like the 10 to 12 range, which was just, I had to note it because it was very funny. <laughs> that person doesn't watch a ton of hockey. That's like, no. you know, maybe they were expecting him to come out and have a 930 save percentage this year and be the best in the league. But like, realistically, that's not what 21 year olds do. And you look at even the young goalies around the league, they're 24. They're 25. Like, look at what's going on up in New York. Yeah, they got some great prospects up there. Uh, they're not 21. Carter Hart is, and he's already, yeah, is the road stuff, uh, it's more annoying than anything because it's dragging down his overall numbers. Mm -hmm. Is it a concern? I guess if you want it to be, you can say it is, but shit, man, I know what a good goalie looks like because I've been looking at bad ones for my whole fucking life, and he's at least like, this is his floor. When we talk right. about ceilings and floors, we don't know what Carter Hart is. I know he's at least this, and they can win with at least this. They can win plenty of games with what he is right now, and what he is right now isn't close to what he's going to be. Also, you can't... I mean, the way that these lists are constructed, like these are not just a list of who had the best performance at their position, and that's how we rank them. Like, that's not an exercise that people do. You can go to any number of websites and see how people's production ranks them. Um, yeah, you can go to NHL.com and see that. Right. The point is that we're talking about the most important and useful and valuable players under the age of 25 in the organization. And if you want to try to argue that Carter Hart is not not even under 25 most important. Like, he's really the most important and valuable piece of this hockey team and that the team's success is his success and vice versa. Like, he is the future of the team. And if he's not going to be what we think he's going to be and what he's shown us that he can be, then we've got a problem. And we're going to have to wait for, like, Ustamenko to come up or something. But, like... <laughs> I know that would make you super happy. But yeah, I, I just don't I just don't know how you could come up with like a cogent argument that Carter Hart doesn't top this list. 
I think there's a couple a couple different levels to this. Um, because I, I mean, I mostly agree with you, Kelly, but I do think that I think someone, if they wanted to, could make a case that like Provy should be higher than than Hart, just because I feel like there's more certainty that Provy is this rather than Hart, because you know. Hart really has only played like 70 or so games, so it's possible that this could just be a mirage. I don't think it is, but it's possible. But the, the kind of the thing that really cements it for for me for Hart being the number one out of the, you know, out of the, the top 25 or 25 is that like there are other Ivan Provorovs scattered across the league. Like there are other guys who are between the ages of 20 and 24 who are basically number one defensemen on their teams, who are really, really good. And we have one of them. And that's great. The Flyers have one of those young core pieces. You know, one of those Kale McCars, one of those Mira Haskinens, you know, one of those Zakharensky's. Like, there are other guys who you can plausibly make a case that are similar to Provorov that maybe, like, do I think Provorov is better than Wierenski? Yeah, I do. Is there, could you make a case that Wierenski is better than Provorov? Yeah, you could. It's not one I agree with, but you could have a reasonable debate about that. You can have a reasonable debate that Mira Haskinen is basically as good as Provorov is now, except he's two or two or three years younger. I actually agree with that. But in any case, there's other Ivan Provorovs around the NHL. I don't think there's another 21-year-old goalie in the NHL who's played two seasons in the NHL and performed above league average. Like, Carter Hart is a singular occurrence in the NHL. So if you're talking about value, I don't know how you could say that anybody on in the organization has higher trade value right now than Carter Hart because there's no one in the NHL like Carter Hart right now. There's no goalie this young who's this good who's still on his entry-level contract, by the way. Like, the value that he's providing right now and the value that he could be reasonably expected to provide is just higher than anybody else because there's just no one else in the NHL like him. That's a that's a great way to put it, Charlie. Because somebody uh, somebody on Twitter, when I solicited questions a week or two ago, asked the question, and I, I didn't even get to it because at the time I was like, nobody, I don't know, whatever. And but somebody asked, like, in a one for one trade, what would you, who would you give up Carter Hart for? And the only shit I could come up with was wildly unrealistic. Yeah, like exactly. if you wanted to trade Provy one for one for for Ruenski, I'd go, yeah, cool, whatever. If you want to trade Provy for Heiskanen, I'd go, yeah, all right, I'm kind of interested, sure. Like Carter Hart, I, fuck man, you're talking like I need a superstar in return, and like obviously Edmonton ain't giving up either of their guys for Carter Hart or anything like that. Yeah, that's I. Yeah, if you want to put Hart in the top four, top five, not say he's essentially number one. We'll get to number one in a second. We'll get to why we're, you know, talking about this. Like, number two is number one here. But, like, TK, TK's awesome. Love TK. I don't know if we're going to judge these guys. All right, they're all on the same level. They've got two, three years experience. They're here. All right, let's get the, let's put the guys who are who have accomplished the most higher up because they've accomplished the most. I'd understand that argument, but anything higher than like four for Hart doesn't make sense. The person who was saying 10 to 12, that's nuts. To trade yeah. any of them one for one, Hart, I can't, I can't come up with a realistic scenario. Connor McDavid or bust. No, and like that's the like, I'm not even, like say it was Eichel. Are they going to give up Eichel for Hart? Probably not, but I'd need something like that. 
You know yeah, what, like, though? If Edmonton wants to really, you know, rebuild that team and get something going, they need a strong goaltender, and they can just <laughs> lean on Leon Dreisaitl to score their goals and just give us yeah. Connor McDavid. They He's can just so give sad. Give us McDavid yeah. for, for Felix Hanstrom. <laughs> <laughs> but, but seriously, like, it's just you look at somebody like Hart, and there's no one. This is nope. this is unprecedented, really. Aside from you know the guy we name a lot when we talk about Carter Hart, Carey Price, because he's another guy who came up real young. Like everyone, justifiably in New York, was losing their minds this year over uh, over Shesterkin when he came up and was great. He's 24 and he's in his first NHL season. Like that's normal for goalies. And yeah. Like that is normal for a goalie to have his first NHL season, you know, first full season, age 23, age 24, and that's fine. He's a great goalie, and I think he could be one of the best goalies in the league. It's possible. He was amazing in the KHL. The fact that Carter Hart had a 917 save percentage at 20 years old before he could even legally drink in this country. That's mind-blowing. And then this year, if you go by uh, advanced metrics that account for shot quality— uh, like uh, the one on Evolving Hockey, uh, Goal Saved Above Expectation. Check that out. Great website. Out of goalies that had the majority of starts on their team, Carter Hart was fourth best in the league in terms of goals saved above expectation. So you could plausibly make the argument, solely based on that stat, and I wouldn't recommend using one single stat to make any sweeping generalizations, but if you were going to— No, this to, one, because I like it. If you were going to, you could argue <laughs> that this season Carter Hart was the fourth best starting goalie in the NHL. At age 21. Yeah, and that's in New York. Georgiev, the other guy up there, also 24. Like, yeah, it's it's kind of just an unprecedented thing, at least for us, man. How old Def- was Bob when us. we got him? That's what I wanted to check. Bob was 22, 23, was like 22 I think. is rookie year, something no, like I think that. No, I think he was 23, because I believe, if I remember correctly, I think Bob is an 88 birthday. So he got started um, 2010, 2011, right? He is. September 20th, 1988. So he was uh, 22 as a rookie. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So again, great rookie year. That was awesome. And, and Bob became one of the best goalies of the 2010s. Carter Hart already had two seasons before Bob had his first. Sounds good. Not bad. <laughs> That's And listen, it's not like, uh, this is a Flyers podcast, all right? I'm not going to be unbiased. I love Carter Hart. I need Carter Hart in my life. He's everything I've ever been searching for, and I have him. I love him. But coming in at number one, uh, this was, I mean, listen, the season he was having... He's got an argument uh, when Kelly talked about how we, how we assess value and usefulness. Man, having Oscar Lindblom in your lineup and being able to play him anywhere and that line's going to be good because he's on it, that's pretty fucking useful, but we all know the extenuating circumstances. We made him number one because uh, what the fuck else can we do to show our support for the guy yeah. other than just... Uh, well wishes. You're our number one Oscar Lindblom. Was having an amazing season before the cancer diagnosis. Was coming along as a uh, as a prospect and an NHL player at an incredible rate. And uh, it's. I hope everything works out for this kid and we get to watch him play hockey again. 
Me too. And I, I honestly think that if his season had continued the way it began, he would have been top five without question. Oh, I think he's top five regardless. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're going to put Sanheim in there, maybe six, like top five or six, but I'd still put Limblom above him. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would probably put him like, a, and we're, again, we're in a, a, a much better world where Oscar Limblom is never diagnosed with cancer. Right. I'd probably put him right behind Konechny. Okay. So what, what that would that would put him ahead of Myers and ahead of Sanheim like that I'm yep. I'm yeah. comfortable I'm comfortable with that 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 feels right to me I probably put him be- behind Hart behind Peruvi behind Konechny but fourth that that fits for me I could I could understand you putting one of one or two of the defensemen ahead of him but that's as low reasonably as I think you could put him I would you know just based on production and if if this if we did this at the beginning of the year, I'd be like, yeah, Sandheim, he's gonna break out. I think maybe he's got you know some really good potential. But fuck, man, Limblom was playing on the first line and really making that thing go. Like all of a sudden, Giroux wasn't a first liner, and it wasn't a problem. <laughs> yeah, God, this I'm season. A, yeah, I'm working on a uh, a tracking project during all of this, you know, non hockey stuff that we're having to deal with. Uh, just mostly because there's some things I always wanted to learn about the Flyers, um, the Flyers players, and because we've got time, so might as well. And uh, it's interesting with Limblom because, you know, I definitely pay attention to what what are dubbed to be micro stats. It's the stuff that like Corey Schneider tracks, like zone entries, zone exits, things like that. And what always fascinated me about Limblom is that. Usually guys who drive play are really, really good by microsats. Not always, but usually. You know, usually guys like Jake Voracek in their prime, like they were zone entry machines. They 70% of their zone entries came with possession of the puck and they were averaging, you know, 26, 27 zone entries per 60 minutes, which was near the tops of the league. And you could see, like, that makes sense. They drive play because they do stuff that pushes puck, the puck in the right direction when they're on the ice. It was logical. It made sense. Same thing with, like, defensemen and being able to generate zone exits. Same thing. The thing that always interested me about Limblom was that he never graded out especially well by those numbers, despite the fact that by, you know, shot differential and chance differential, he always looked amazing, um, even before he had this this offensive breakout to start this season. So you always kind of wondered, like, okay, well, if he's not generating a ton of entries, and he's not generating a ton of exits, and a lot of his entries aren't coming with control of the puck, how the hell are the Flyers dominating possession so much when he's on the ice? And not going to spoil exactly what i'm tracking because i don't want to i don't want to give it all away but this tracking project that i'm doing like he's the guy because i haven't gotten to the point of the season where he he has to stop playing i'm still in november and he's the guy who jumps out at you so much in terms of the little things he does to make sure his team retains possession like Best he, smile per 60, he's killing it. It's unreal. No, it's just, there's just so many things because like, and it's not even, it, it's very subtle. Like he'll come in on the four check and he won't like, he won't hit the guy. You know, he's not going to go in and blow up the guy he's, he's trying to, you know, he's trying to attack, but he just will like, he'll angle him in a certain way to make it so the pass that he, that the defenseman inevitably makes ends up going right to another flyer. And you see it once, and you think to yourself, oh, well, that was just a bad pass. The Limblom just kind of got lucky. You see it 20 times, 
And you're like, no, that wasn't a fluke. Limblom knew exactly where he had to, what situation he had to put the defenseman in to make him make a bad pass. And it's just, it's like clockwork. It's like every single time he's able to do it. And it's mind boggling when you're really breaking down the tape, just how smart of a player he is. And like, man, I want to see him come back. And obviously, and obviously I just want to see him beat this thing, but like, he's just, he's such a good hockey player and he deserves to play hockey and just see what his career would, where his career would go. No, that's, you look at him and you know, he's strong. He's a sturdy guy. Um, but looking at the way Elaine Vigneault's system works and how this team has feasted on turnovers, has feasted on second chance opportunities, has create, has denied so many zone exits and creates chances that way. And Limblom was a huge part of that when he was playing. He was doing that as well as anyone. So, all right, now it's prediction time. So right now we have Limblom, Hart, Provi, TK, Sanheim. That's our top five, top 25 under 25. A year from now, how will we be ranking those five? Ooh, that's a spicy question. I still think Hart's number one. Yeah, I think so. In- is Provi two or is... TK, does Sanheim make the jump to three? In Kelly Hinkle's personal world, Travis Sanheim jumps up for sure. Um, I think it would probably be like two, three, and four, Pro V, Sanheim, Konechny. Honestly, any of those would make sense. They're all like two ABC, really. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and Limblom is so tough because we don't even know if he's going to be able yeah, to play next year. Yeah, we have no idea. And just, that's, yeah, we just we, don't know. That's the thing I was going to ask next. Do you believe it possible Nolan Patrick jumps into this top five? No. I mean, it's possible. I, I do think that, I, I know Kelly is, like, not a big Nolan Patrick fan. What? Not, I, I think you're, you're definitely, you definitely fall on more of the skeptical side. I do. I still believe in the skill set, and I do think that I think this this really was setting up to be kind of a breakout year for him, and it really sucks that he had to deal with the migraines, and we're never going to know how this year would have played out, but the third season under much better coaching, I think this could have been a real step forward year for him, and if Nolan Patrick comes back next year and has that big step forward year, Considering his pedigree and considering the hype that still surrounds him because he was a second overall pick, yeah, I think he could jump into the top five. He has to go out and do it, but I think he could. Yeah, and just to be clear, I don't doubt Nolan Patrick's skill set. Like, I am very clearly aware that he's capable of being an exceptionally good hockey player. I've just not seen any evidence that he is going to do that continuously in the NHL. And once I do, I'm very happy to be completely wrong about the fact that I don't think he's going to pan out to be as good as we want him to be. Um, I would love to be wrong about that. But, like, right now, just looking at what has been given to us by him on the ice, he puts together half a good hockey season and then half a bad one. So show me different and I'll be on board. But until then, I've got no reason. All right, Kelly. Plus, here's it's a, a pain reason. in the ass. Here's a reason. Since he only plays one good half a season at a time, mm-hmm. since he missed a whole season, he's got two good halves Ooh. coming up. Ooh. You know what? That's how math works. 
I hadn't considered doing the maths on the problem, but I can't argue with that kind of science. I'm here to help Charlie with all these tracking projects. Yeah, thanks see, so I, much, Bill. I can't believe Charlie no, didn't I, put I, those I, stats one, together. One point I do. One point I do want to throw in here. Um, because Bill, you mentioned Nolan Patrick as someone who maybe could could jump in to the top five, um, you know, if things break his way next season, and I think it's possible. One guy who I think absolutely could and like could really push if things break his way is Phil Myers, mm, because okay. I think we watched him over the course of this season just progressively get better and better, and and if you're talking purely about ceilings. I mean, his is through the roof in terms of physically what he can do on the ice. And if he continues to round out the rest of his game, I mean, Matt Niskanen is only under contract for one more year. It is not at all out of the realm of possibility that if Phil Myers has a really good 2020-2021 season, that by midway through the year, he's on the top pair with Provorov. And if he is, then the entire complexion of the top 25 changes. If he's on that top pair and he's good there, then it's like, holy shit, we have a 6'5 dude who's a plus skater who's on the top pair. God, that would be so great. And, like, I think it would be beneficial for Sandheim to get some of that veteran Niskanen wisdom. Like... It might not be the worst thing in the world to work it like that. Obviously, all four of those guys have to keep up their end of the bargain. All right, uh, something Charlie brought up that we decided we wanted to talk about is how the bottom six could shake out next year. Now, I am not writing off this season, uh, and it sounds like there could very well be at least some semblance of playoffs or something coming up. But just uh, let's talk about next year a little because a lot of the names we're about to talk about, who could be fitting into the bottom six are guys who made this or were just left off of the top 25, under 25 list. And, Charlie, with the options that you laid out here for the bottom six, I really thought Michael Roffel was a free agent after this season. He still has another year. He's that never going away. contract feels like it yeah. was a decade ago. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, literally, like, Two weeks ago feels like a year ago, so. Yeah. Fair we, point. We, we, have, we had to morning, adjust our, our, like- our view of time right now. I just, and I'm not, I don't dislike Raffle. I like him. I'm just ready to see someone else. (laughs) Him being on a good team is helping me. Like, it's really brought me back to liking him again. It's not his fault that they were bad because he's here and they're good. So, all right, I can stop blaming guys like Michael Raffle, I guess. Yes, you can. All right, but the options Charlie lays out for players who will be competing in the bottom six next year, we have Patrick, Farabee, Lawton, Raffle, Albe Kubel, Frost, The Germ, Bunneman, Kacha, Torensky, Lazinski, Allison, Vorobiev, LOL, and Shushko. <laughs> so, don't you think, Charlie, that there are a couple or three of those guys that you could just assume aren't going to be in the mix? I mean, there are guys that I have my preconceived bias against like mm-hmm. i i am not sold on verobiev as being a legitimate nhler and i don't know if that's ever going to change i'm not i've never been the biggest carson Torinsky fan in terms of his skill set but apparently coaches are because he always almost almost either almost makes the team or does make the team out of training camp so he can't be ruled out entirely i'm not all the way there on sushko but i can tell you that the organization is pretty high on him and he's absolutely a dark horse to be involved in, in camp next year 
Allison has the injury issues, but hey, he looked really good in the second half of this year with Western Michigan, so you never know. To me, like, and then Bunneman, yeah, Bunneman is, you know, maybe not the most flashy guy, but he was the fourth line center on a pretty darn good fourth line in the second half. So to me, there's a lot of guys in here that are in the mix. And we haven't even mentioned the fact that there are some people who really, like, one thing I will say, and this this has cracked me up a little bit about Flyers fans, it shocks me, like, out and out shocks me how many people really, really, really want to re-sign Derek Grant after seven games. Like you, like, you, And I'm not saying that I don't like Derek Grant as a player. I liked what he brought to the team. He had five points in seven games. He made some good plays. But like, you would think we would have learned our lesson from Peter Morozik. But mm-hmm. no, we have not. We have definitely not learned our lesson from like, hey. Never a, a, learn your lesson. <laughs> always double down. Like a good week and a half from a player does not mean that he should be immediately re-signed and you know, part, made part of the core, especially when you have this many goddamn pretty darn good prospects that can play that role potentially. No, that's the, like, is Derek Grant a good player who could fi- fit in just fine in the bottom six? Yeah, sure. Why the hell not? There are, I just named 10 guys, like, who could easily fit in and do pretty well. I will say, like, it seems like he's a decent part of the penalty kill, and he could be a good fourth liner, he's physical, but, like, Patrick Farabee, Lawton, Albe Bell, those guys are locks. If Frost can take a step, he's a lock. So there's five out of six right there. Yes. <laughs> See, I thought, then, Char- yeah. I, I thought, Charlie, you were going to say Pitlick. I thought well, that Pitlick- that whole... Spiel was leading up to Tyrell Pitlick because people, I mean, I actually really like him. I would like there to be a space for him on this team, but I wouldn't take him over six of those guys that are on that list. That's the problem. There's just no room for him. I like Pitlick a lot. It seems like we have 12 Pitlicks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, theoretically. The reason why I'm more the reason why I'm more into signing Pitlick than Grant, and to to be clear, like if they sign Derek Grant back, I wouldn't hate it as long as they're not paying him like you know close to three million dollars a year, which I don't think they would. No. Um, but the reason why I'm more into a Pitlick signing over a Grant signing is because we just we've seen him for longer. You know, we're more confident that he actually does fit with this team and with this style of play. Whereas with Grant, like he scored a bunch of points and I like, I I like his resume and I do think eventually the underlying numbers would have caught up, but the underlying numbers he had when he was on the ice for those seven games were kind of trash. And it's just, if you're signing a guy based on seven games, assuming the flyers don't finish out the season, which, Hey, they might, and they might play playoffs, and maybe Derek Grant is a great playoff player, and boom, then you decide to resign. Smythe, Derek that. Grant. Oh, there we Lord. go. But like the thing with Pitlick is, you know that Pitlick can be useful because he did it the entire season. Mm-hmm. You don't. You're not as certain about Derek Grant in my mind. So it's just it's it's just funny because there are so many guys, and there are so many guys that really seem close to ready, or at least ready to compete. And that's why it becomes tough to make a decision on guys like Pitlick and guys like Grant because they're undeniably useful players, but do you want to box out more of these kids? I don't know. The Flyers are like one of my college frat parties. Just so many guys. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Beautiful. It is a sausage party up in the Flyers locker room. It's just, (laughs) how do they have this many guys? Just so many fucking guys. All right, so we've been alluding to the idea that maybe there could be some hockey played again uh, at some point. 
Gary Bettman finally said out loud that the regular season probably won't happen. And Frank Saravalli, old friend Frank, uh, put forth an idea to make things fair. And it works out well for the Flyers. And it is a, it's a 68-game rollback. Everybody, the idea is everybody in the NHL has played at least 68 games. Some teams have played like 71, 72. Uh, everyone's played at least 68. The Flyers are at 69. Hey, um, which I, I, I love this idea simply because it erases the Flyers' last loss. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're going into the playoffs hot on like, what, an eight-game winning streak? What was it? <laughs> so I'm for it. What do you make of this idea of just doing a – of saying, all right, the fewest amount of games any team has played is 68, so we're going to cut it off there. Everyone's record through 68 games is their record uh, to line up playoff seating. Let's go do the playoffs. How do we like this idea? I mean, I don't hate it, and it kind of – I think it was Charlie's idea that, like, you take the team with the most amount of games and you play games to get every team up to that number – this is just that, um, but easier because we don't have to play any hockey games. Um, and apparently this is something that they took from the OHL is where he got this idea. They did, That's, something they did it with their, mm-hmm. their draft or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's as good an idea as any. It makes a lot more sense than some of the other ones. Yeah, of all the dumb shit I've heard, this is the least dumb. I wonder how many teams would get super pissed, like teams who have like four wins after game 68 are going to get like super pissy about the yeah, fact that's, that they're Yeah, I was erased. thinking like, oh, well, this works out for the Flyers. Like we just lop off that, that loss that ended the win streak and boom, yeah. we're right there. Yeah, apparently uh, according to this idea, the Flyers would have won the Metropolitan Division. So division oh, shifts, shit, baby. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Yep. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, then let's do it. Let's start that today. Let's get that it's going. It's perfect in every way. We would be playing I watched, Carolina. I just watched Empty Arena WrestleMania. I can watch Empty Arena playoffs. Uh, I, I will say, though, if the Flyers are to win the Stanley Cup and I can't go to the parade, I'm anti that. I don't want them to win the Stanley Cup this year. If there's a, if they, if it happens, if there is a Stanley Cup to be won, I don't want them to win it this year. I, I don't want it to be like this, William. I, I want d- it to be I real. I don't care about the I don't care about the asterisk or anything. I simply care about the parade. All of it would be you bad. Just celebrate. We wouldn't be able yes, to go to the game. We wouldn't be able to go to the games. We wouldn't be able to go to bars and have watch parties for the away games. We wouldn't be able to fucking go to a parade. People would say that the Flyers only won because Frank Zaravalli gave them the Metro Division out of nowhere. Like, it would be terrible. Just lose uh, it this year. Let some shitty team that nobody cares about win it. <laughs> Ottawa Senators. Yeah. Let champion. the Senators win this season. Oh, jeez. Melnick immediately <laughs> cuts salary. <laughs> He sells the Stanley Cup to the highest bidder. (laughs) Fucking KHL all of a sudden is celebrating the Stanley Cup. We're like, what happened? (laughs) Melnick's like, I had to make a business decision. He had to pay some bills. He's got shit to do. Yeah. Can't hold on to cups. I'm hoarding all these masks in my basement and they won't let me sell them. I had to sell the cup. (laughs) Uh, Since you brought up Frank Saravalli again there, Kelly, I just want to... Man, Kevin Hayes has been everywhere, like, making the media rounds, appearing on podcasts, doing conference calls. He's been the most visible Philadelphia Flyer, I feel like, through all of this. 
uh, given the season he had and the season the team had, uh, it downright shocked me, Charlie, that you didn't name Hayes your number one free agent signing of the decade for the Flyers. <laughs> downright <laughs> fucking shocked me. Oh, Charlie and, and so his I just had to, because of my feeling that Kevin Hayes is a huge reason that they have turned things around, and you can see all the quotes from like Chuck Fletcher calling him a beauty and just how much everyone loves the guy. It really wanted to me. I just really wanted to call back to the Saravalli story of, I don't understand why the Flyers oh, felt God. the need to go out and spend a pick in order to trade for Hayes. I was with a current NHL player the night before game seven in Boston, who five minutes before seeing me ran into Kevin Hayes outside somewhere in downtown Boston and he told him he would only sign if they overpaid him. I forgot that I hated Frank Saravalli. I forgot. Yeah, he's our enemy. He's not our friend anymore. Fucking I Frank too. with his bullshit insider information. Yeah. They overspent <laughs> by 600 to 700K, which is league yeah. minimum. I talked to some guy in a convenience store who knows Nathan McKinnon's mom's aunt's brother's sister, and he told me that Nathan McKinnon wants to be a flyer, so... Right before a Stanley Cup final game, I ran into a player who was probably drinking (laughs) with Kevin Hayes in Hayes' hometown, and he said they're going to have to overpay me. No fucking shit! (laughs) Yeah, I I did... Imagine a guy like... Go ahead, Charlie, sorry. No, I I, I did love... I think, Bill, you were the one who came up with this. It was like a couple months ago where you're just like, yeah, yeah. now now knowing what we know about Kevin Hayes' personality, that's very obviously what happened. That right? Like, yeah, they, that he, they were they were partying in some bar in Boston, and he's like, yo, bro, you sign with the Flyers? Like, yeah, if they give me all the money, I will. Yeah, right? <laughs> Imagine show me the money, baby. That's absolutely what he fucking said. Imagine a guy like Kevin Hayes fucking around and saying something ridiculous to make all of his drunk buddies yeah. laugh. Like who could yeah. see it happening? And like I'm not I'm not actually bashing Frank. I like Frank Saravalli. He he made his name here. He's making us all proud uh, with his national coverage. But god damn it, Frank. Come like, on, for real? Frank. <laughs> Don't trust anyone named Frank. That's the moral of all of this. Never. Is it your best friend named Frank? Yeah, that's yes. yeah. He's <laughs> Friend of the pod. All right. Of the do, pod. We, do we have anything else? Everyone go to Bomb Bomb and see Frankie when you can go to restaurants again. <laughs> <laughs> you can get takeout. It's good. Oh, yeah. Um, give me one thing. I wanted to do this quarantine best of. I realize it's like a version of what we've been doing every show. But just like one thing you've discovered, figured out, read, written, whatever, doing the hockey hiatus. You're the best thing about quarantine. Oh, God. I caught up on music. That was probably the best thing for me. There you go. We all started doing um, new and fun podcasting. That's been kind of fun. Like, none of us would have done any of these dumb shows if we didn't have a reason to do them. So that's been kind of fun. That is... uh, What movie did you guys talk about? I haven't listened yet. Snatch. Oh, I have never seen it. I'll have to watch it and then listen. It's good. And Charlie Uh, had me listen to uh, the Stacey's Mom album, and it was actually quite good. That's hard to believe, but okay. I know. <laughs> I hate all music, so don't, don't listen to me when it comes to music. <laughs> Charlie asked me about the album I proposed. I was like, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> he 
Because yeah, okay, I came, I came into that show. This is our first one, and you chose the album, and you just chose something that was okay. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that blew me away. I thought I was coming into the show when we did the the other stuff show, the first one. I thought it was like one of Bill's favorite albums ever. And Bill, no, Bill just took the request from a random person on Twitter and was like, "Yeah, I like it, kind of, I guess." I was hammered, <laughs> and someone said it on Twitter, and I was like, "Yup, perfect." And then I listened to it. I was like, oh, this isn't even their best album. Oh, man. Well, too late now. All right. I just got to say to close the show, um, if you haven't seen WrestleMania, even if you aren't the biggest wrestling fan, you have to see the Boneyard match and the Firefly Firefly Funhouse match. They are tests of the limits of the genre, and you will enjoy them for nothing else than their ridiculousness. Uh, Absolutely watch those. Uh, I think that's the show, gang. I think we did it. I we think we it. are. We have another one in the books. Hey, yo. Go team. All right. A whole show about hockey, folks. Who could have seen it coming? So that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for having it, hanging out. If you haven't already, you know what to do. Hit subscribe. Give us good reviews. Share with your friends. Share with your pets. Whatever you got to do to help us keep up our numbers so we can keep bringing content to you, which we'll do. Like we just said, there's all sorts of shit going on. New stuff, old stuff. You'll love it all. Keep listening to Broad Street Hockey. That's it. My name is Bill Matz for Kelly and Charlie. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah!